I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome into our closing time edition of our Maze and Brew podcast here on a Friday, heading into a much-needed bye week for Michigan football. I'm your host, Anthony Broom. As always, we're going to hop into it right away. But before we get into this week's interview, I want to preface it a few ways. So this week, we're going to be talking to former Michigan wide receiver Braylon Edwards about his new book titled Doing It My Way. It's an autobiography of his on sort of his life story so far that he wrote with ESPN's Tom Van Haren. Braylon has sort of been... A bit of a polarizing guy in recent years with Michigan, but I gotta be honest, I read this book, I was able to get an advanced copy of it, and sort of came away with a different perspective on who he is and some of the things he's been through. So, um, it is a terrific read, it's a quick read, it's like 230 pages, I suggest you check it out. It doesn't totally let him off the hook for a lot of the mistakes he's made with, you know, Talking about a guy who's dealt with some alcohol abuse and and things like that, some on-field stuff, some off-field stuff. But I do suggest if you're a fan of Michigan football, if you're a fan of Braylon Edwards in general, I think it's something you should check out. So first off, I want to say that we were sort of limited with our time. There were a ton of questions I had written down. Would have loved to get a lot deeper in a few of the things we talked about. But Braylon did have a prior engagement to get to with the book coming out this week. It is available, by the way wherever you get your books, Barnes & Noble, uh, Amazon. Do, do people go to bookstores anymore? I don't know, but um, it's available in all those formats. But like I said, he had a prior engagement to get to. We got into his thoughts on the number one jersey. We dove into the quote-unquote feud that he has with Jim Harbaugh. And we did discuss some of the controversial tweets from last year's Notre Dame game. 
You can look those tweets up for yourself. I'm not going to rehash it here. I will say he did call out players, Shea Patterson, Cesar Ruiz, personally. And in my opinion, it was wrong of him to do that. We didn't really get to get into my side of it because I wanted to hear his book is about his side of the story, and I wanted to get his side of the story. Uh, he did express remorse for it in the book, but the interview, not so much. Not that he doubled down on it, but um, it's a little bit different than what you do get in the book. You'll just kind of have to hear it for yourself. We also talked about his favorite Michigan memory, and being that he was on the last Michigan team to win a Big Ten title, his advice for the current group of guys and how his group of seniors sort of willed a championship into existence. So without further ado, let's get into it. Well, as promised, a very special guest on our Friday edition of the Maze and Brew podcast here. Uh, you guys all know who he is. He's a former Michigan Wolverine star. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, for a guy of my age, I'm in my mid-20s, but the number one at Michigan as far as players with the number one goes. Former number uh, number three overall pick of the Cleveland Browns. Uh, talking to Braylon Edwards. Biography is out as of Tuesday uh, called Doing It My Way with help from uh, Tom Van Haren. Braylon, it's good to, good to have you on. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate that. Thank, thank you for the... Uh... Thank you for the vote of confidence on being the number one. Thank you. <laughs> you have my endorsement, whatever that's good for. But uh, <laughs> I appreciate um, it. Well, like I said, I just I just finished the book. We talked a little bit before uh, we press record here. Uh, honestly, thought it was a great read. Nice little inside look at not only some of the things you've been through and some of the you know quote unquote controversies that you've been involved in. But right off the bat, you said your favorite movie is Rocky IV, which is my favorite Rocky movie. Uh, so over the top, so patriotic. I uh, thought that was an interesting little anecdote to kind of get things going. And you said that early on in there. so yeah, Kind of let you know off the cuff, man. Like This, this may not be what you're expecting. This may not be what, <laughs> what you are, you know, what you, what you have thought in the past. It's going to be a... Gonna be an honest, uh, you know, no holds bar, knockdown, drag out book, man. But you'll get a chance to know who I am and for, for whatever it's worth when you're finished reading. All right. Well, why was now the perfect time for you and Tom to kind of sit down, get together, and tell how you put it throughout, you know, more than a few spots in the book, your side of the story? I Triumph came to me, and that's the publishing company. They reached out to me in 2016 about doing a book, but I was nowhere near you know, ready to do a book. Well, I never even thought about doing a book, if I'm being honest. So, you know, I didn't know what the book would be about. I didn't know, you know, I didn't have a clue as to what we would talk about. And if I'm being honest, the money wasn't right, you know, and in my mind, I'll come back to that. I'll circle back to that. But the money wasn't right. Not a lot of money in books unless you're, you know, Michelle Obama, Barack Obama, (laughs) Donald Trump, certain people who people are going to, you know, New York bestsellers. So fast forward, after they put the idea out there, you know, I just start kind of running it through different friends, family members, uh, people that I had met that had done books or people that I was meeting at the time. And, you know, we were just, you know, spitballing and telling stories and just reminiscing and going over scenarios and stories that have happened in my past. And the more and more people I talked to, like the book just became like something that should be done. And then I was paying attention to the climate of athletes and realizing you know, athletes never really get a chance to tell their story. And, you know, it. and what I mean by their story is there's so much behind athletes. A lot of times it's not them telling their version of a story. It's just them telling their story in general. Like most, a lot of fans, they just see athletes as athletes. They see people you can pick up 
in fantasy, or they see players, they see touchdowns or goal score, or they see aces, or they see, you know, uh, 66s on day on day four. So this was a chance for me to just tell I'm more than a I'm more than a football player. There's a lot of other things. You should look at me as humans first. I think when when people hear about something that happens to an athlete, like the the first thing you think about is, well, you know, you're worth, you know, you, you make such so much money. Like, why have this happen or this shouldn't happen? Or you know, it could be good things too. Like, not, the whole book's not bad. It's literally just a mix of, a mixed bag of things that happen while I play ball and before. Yeah, so when it came back in 2018, it was it was time to do it. And we were excited, and then it was no longer. I forgot about that part. Then it was no longer about the money. Then it was like this is a great idea. I think this would be fun and very therapeutic, and let's just have fun with it. Yeah, and I think to a certain extent, when you go through the book, I mean, you are a guy who, I mean, certainly not someone who's who's trying to portray yourself to be the victim, but when you dive deeper into some of the, you know some of the injuries, some of the on-field stuff, some of the off-field stuff. I think when you kind of get the context of what played into that, I think, it, like I said, it's a life story. It's not just a story of a guy that scores or scores touchdowns or you know puts up 200 yards in a game or things like that. So I think that's something in the book that I really enjoyed and, and something I thought that you uh, portrayed really well. But something else that I thought was interesting was um, you said during your freshman year, you sort of battled at times with – and I think this isn't just a you think. I think this is, you know, college athletes in general. You're not the big fish anymore. You kind of battle with, you know, um, some of the mental health things and, and potentially transferring. I know that's a big kind of hot button issue right now. And there's a thing out there right now on a one-time transfer for student athletes where they could transfer right. one year. Uh, no, there's no repercussions. No penalty. Yeah, no penalty or anything like that. Um would you be in favor of that? Because something that sticks out in your story is that you went through that, but sticking sticking out some of the problems that you had kind of shaped you into having the career you did at Michigan. So how do you feel about that? Some, I think you should have it, and the only reason why is not everyone will be able to respond the way in which I did. I'm not trying to make myself out to be something you know bigger and better, but I was able to handle that because I had a good support system. I have two parents, I have two, have you, as you read, I have two mothers and two fathers. I have strong grandmothers. I have strong friends. I went to college down the street. You know, I don't. You know, I may have could have handled it if I went to USC. I may not have could have, but not everyone will be able to have that support system and to be able to rally like I did and, and go through it and make it strong. Make let it make you stronger, and then have the success. Not everybody has that, so sometimes it's. It's easier for people to transfer. It's easier for people to believe they can transfer and put themselves in other situations. And then if they do that and then it doesn't work, well, now they're forced to make it work. So I think I'll be in favor of that just from that standpoint. Because yeah, if you don't do it, then you'll have a person thinking, man, if I could have transferred, if I did transfer, that would have been better. You don't want you know, someone to think that who's not necessarily a strong mental yet it may become right. strong mentally but not yet but you put them in a situation where they don't have an option and you know then it it could go down downhill for them all right well you talk about in the book and and this is a big time memory with really college football fans michigan football fans in general but that last game you played against michigan state we all know about the huge comeback but what do you remember the most vividly about that performance 
I just remember it was the last yeah, it was the last time I'd be playing Michigan State in uh, you know, my career. I just remember like where we kinda were heading, you know, going in that game. We only had one loss. So we were doing well. We lost to Notre Dame and Notre Dame, which we should have won, but like everything we wanted was still in front of us. And it wasn't gonna be Michigan State that was gonna derail us. Not not my last year. That's all I kept thinking. It's not Michigan State. Not my last year. That's all I kept thinking. Yeah. Well the book staying with your Michigan career kinda opens with you explaining the struggle it took to not only get that number one jersey, but keep it. Because, you know, there was quite a bit of a back and forth with you and Lloyd Carr, and that was, you know, him and super guys that always kind of pushed you and, and things like that. Um, and you also spoke about how it kind of disappoints you that, you know, in recent history, it's just kind of been handed out, not necessarily earned. And and um, I know it's you explained it in the book, but I guess for our listeners here, could you kind of sort out or sort sum up your thoughts on that? Um, <clears throat> number one usually had been ha- had been handled out handed out in the past, but once I got it, Lloyd told me I had to earn it because you know, I wasn't a five star. It wasn't used as a recruiting tool for me. I had to earn it. So he made me go through my freshman year, in which I didn't earn it. He made me go to my sophomore year, in which I played well, and you know we even went through you know winter conditioning first before you know, allowing me the numbers. So I went through a lot to get it. I fought hard, tooth and nail, uh, fought through, you know, injury. I fought through not being able to, not being named the guy, but then fighting to be the guy. Like, I fought for that jersey. I really wanted it. So with that being said, after I did the jersey endowment, you know, scholarship, which, you know, that wasn't predicated on number one. It just was called the number one uh, endowment. I was very serious about the number. Like I wanted that number because I know what it meant to me. Like I know when I put that jersey on, I know what what pressures I took on. I know what I was ready for. I know the team that could depend on me. They could count on me. I know I was ready to do whatever it took for Michigan to succeed on you know any given day of the week and any given time of the year. So when you just start handing the jersey out, you use it as a recruiting chip, recruiting tool. And I remember Rich Rod was going to give it to a defensive back, and we're like, oh, man. You know, Harbaugh has since given it to a defensive back. And it's just, I mean, I get it. It's just that number is, is synonymous with that. You know, I don't, a USC wouldn't let a, a, a center wear 55. You know, right. Texas wouldn't let a – they wouldn't let a left guard wear, I think it's 68. Or sixty-two is one of the sixty-eight or sixty-two, or maybe a sixty-six. That's Texas's, um, you know, coveted, you know, jersey number. I remember Derrick Johnson wearing it once my senior year, but those are coveted things, you know. And it, so for me, it just I wanted the kids to understand. I think if you put a different onus on the jersey number, if you put a different onus on it before handing it out, you'll get a different response from a kid you'll get a kid that wants to do more that wants to focus more and you'll get a you'll eventually get a man <laughs> you just get a young man so as opposed to just hey here's this and you take it for granted i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you're here in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. 
Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, and and you brought up Jim Harbaugh there, so let's let's get into that a little bit. And and because right. you spent time with the 49ers uh, when he was there, and, and you talk about how things never really went the way you hoped it would. You had the the knee problem; things just weren't really working out there. Um, and, and a lot of people have sort of drawn this parallel that you have, you know. And, and this goes back to, we'll talk about, you know, what happened last fall with the tweets and all that stuff. But uh, people seem to draw this conclusion that you have some ax to grind against Jim Harbaugh. And, and I, I don't really got, I didn't really get that impression from the book. More seems like it was the 49ers as a franchise, how that ended things with Trent Balky and things like that. Um, so let getting into the tweet, we talked about how it, and you talk about in the book, how, um, the last year during the Notre Dame game, there were some tweets out there that um, kind of got blown up and that Jim Harbaugh did address in a press conference. Um, how do you, like what, being as far removed from that as we are now, how do you feel about the direction, the the leadership under Jim Harbaugh? And, and um, I guess, is is there anything personal there? I mean, just just to throw it all out there. I don't have anything personal against Jim Harbaugh. I don't have anything less personal than I did against Brady Hoke, who I was very, very critical of. And even though he's a friend, Brady Hoke was on the defensive coaching staff when I was at Michigan. I was critical of him losing games. I was critical of him not wearing a headset when Shane got hurt. I was critical of Rich Rod for changing the the tradition. I was critical of him for bringing in a system that clearly did not work in the Big Ten. I was very critical of all of them. I just didn't tweet about, you know, I didn't have Twitter when we are the Rich Rod era. And with Brady, I wasn't really tweeting a lot until I really got into um, to being an analyst, to sports journalism. There's no ax to grind, to be honest. I just love my school. I'm very passionate about it. I went there. And, you know, I just want Michigan to do as well as they can. And I just feel like he never, he never wins the big game. And I think that night, you know, you, you mix hanging out with fellow alums. Uh, we were all up at Soaring Eagle Casino for an alumni event, a watch party. You mix uh, fellow alums. You mix uh, you mix the atmosphere. We'll just call it the atmosphere. <laughs> you mix all that together, and you guys get to agreeing and saying the same things, and it's very synonymous. It's just frustrating. It was like a counterstorm of everything, just cultivating right. at one time. And it led to those tweets. Now, with the tweets, I feel like I was a little over-aggressive. I was a little over-intense as it related to the game, as it related to them. I think uh, all in all, I, I could have handled that a little bit better. <clears throat> kind of like The Godfather. When you watch The Godfather, there's a scene in part one where they're at the family meetings, the meeting of the families. And Sonny, who's Godfather Vito's oldest son, is about to had voice his opinion about something. He opens his mouth and gets ready to talk, and, you know, Vito grabs him and kind of pulls him back. And then after the meeting, Vito slaps Sonny on the face and said, what's the matter with you? He said, you never talk about family business outside the family. You never talk about what you're thinking. And I think that is a great, a great analogy or a great metaphor for 
what should have happened that night. What we talked about up there should have been between me and – I never said who was there. It's nobody's business. But that was between me and the guys up there. We should have agreed, you know, up there and done that. But then when you get back out there, you can give very political slash analytical answers. Like, you know what, they just didn't play well today up front. Uh, also, offense is going to have to find a way to get going consistently. Like I should have gave the typical answers I would give on Big Ten Network, as opposed to being that passionate, that angry, and that frustrated. So I was, I will say that I was a little over aggressive with that tweet. But that that's years of frustration. Like that's sure. you know me. That's you know going back to I've been gone since '05. The '05 game, the '06 one verse two. 07, 08, 09, and I can keep doing this except for one year. So I just think with that and then, you, yeah, our hardball to it, you had the Iowa game in 16, you had the Ohio State game in 16. It's just, it was a culmination of moments, and I feel like I, sure. I overreacted in that moment. I wish I could have it back and be more analytical, but I, I still stand very firm on what I said as it relates to he can win the big one, and he's not known for winning the big one. You look at his time at notice, at Stanford, they never won the Rose Bowl. You know, they never won a national championship. Uh, they never beat USC when USC was USC. You go to the NFL and vice versa. So his thing is he's, he's got to win the big one. I'm not talking about winning a Wisconsin game where it's a, you know, it's, a, it's a game day game and, you know, Wisconsin's not as good as they were the year before. Or, you know, winning a big one, you know what that means. If they would have right. – the big one is Ohio State at the end of last year or any year. Um, a big one is that Penn State game in Penn State in 2017. That's a big game. Uh, so these are the games that I'm saying they have to win. Notre Dame at the beginning of the season last year was a big game. The Florida State game at the end of the year was a big game for us to move forward. Losing to Florida in, in last year was a big game because it's, it's – moving us forward momentum in the off season. You get a big win against a Florida team that's, that's played really well at the end of last year. That's going to be pretty decent this year. You know, that's a big win for us. So you can't do that. And you can't lose the games you should win. You can't lose to South Carolina in the bowl game. You can't lose to Iowa when Iowa is nowhere near as good as you. You can't lose to Michigan State because it's raining outside, which I got in trouble for saying they lost because it was raining. I tried to be <laughs> on their side and can't got in trouble. So looks like I can't win. Even when I defend them, I can't win. Well, I mean, yeah, they you can't run four verts in the rain. Like that's that's just that's just to me common sense. But uh, there's no there's no way you have five interceptions in a monsoon. That that that's just not that's not. Good football. <laughs> yeah. That's not John O'Corn's fault. Five interceptions yeah. in a monsoon. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you there. And I think, and you did sort of, I mean, you expressed remorse over, you know, you brought, there were players that were brought into it. Um, and you, you know, talk about, you've, you've been on the record apologizing for that. I know you feel sorry for that. And, uh, you know, really, to be honest, I mean, for as critical as it was and as critical as you've been, a lot of the takes that you've had aren't all that different from what other people are kind of putting out there and, and people who, um, you know, social media and things like that. And, and because of what your platform is, because of what your standing was, I, it was kind of blown up even a little bit more. And, and like I said, I, I take your word for it when you said you were remorseful and things like that. But, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a bummer that it, it went the way it did. But I'll, I'll let me say this, pivoting back to 
kind of this team and what we're looking at now. So something I really liked about the book was how that last year that you, you, David Boss, Marlon Jackson, kind of banded together and were like, we are going to, we are going to make this a season that counts. And you guys kind of willed that team into the shape that um, that 2004 team was in. And, and coincidentally, last that was the last time a Michigan team has won the Big Ten title. And you look at this team now, um, you know, you have senior leadership of, of Ben Bredesen, who's a two-time captain, Kalik Hudson, you know, Ben Bredesen himself, a couple pre-snap penalties against Army, Kalik Hudson, an offsides penalty in a critical moment. Shea Patterson is a senior leader that hasn't played well. What sort of advice do you have for the leadership structure? Because really, I think we're looking at a team right now and a program that's pressing, and that starts at the top. But when you talk about senior leaders, guys that can you know, pull the team together and um, will something into existence, like how, how did you guys do that, and what kind of advice would you have for the leaders they have now? Uh, it, man, it starts, even though it's the coaches, it starts with the players. I remember um, – I remember my senior, this is my senior year. I remember we had just, and we had freshman quarterback. Chad Henney was our freshman quarterback. Jake Long was starting on that team. I think Jake was a, a, a he was a redshirt freshman, starting at right tackle. Um, Mike Hart would soon be our starting running back this the week that I'm about to tell you about. He would be, and he's a freshman. You look at defense, we had freshman players. Leon Hall was, was a freshman All-American, but he was still a sophomore, still young. We pulled together after we lost to Notre Dame in game two of my senior year. We had a uh, players-only meeting after practice on uh, Sunday. You know, yeah, you walk through, you watch film, lift weights, you go out there and work on the plays you messed up on, and then, you know, you run and it's over. We had, a like, a, a meeting afterwards, and we just said, listen, Let's just take this one game at a time. Like we lost to a team we should have beaten Notre Dame. It's over with. So what? We can't get it back. But what we can't control is we can control the tempo of practice. What we can't control is we can control what the hell guys are doing after practice. What guys are doing from that? I call it that tweener. That tweener time. What guys are doing from twelve to four. AM. We can control what guys are doing at that time period. We can control the mindset. We can control how we practice again at practice. Like, you know, what are we eating? Are we going out and partying during the week? So we, not that that's why we lost to Notre Dame, but we weren't going to let it happen again if we could control it. And so we just changed the whole culture of the rest of the season with that meeting. I'm talking about we will have practices that they will be better than the games. Guys were coming out there like fighting for their job. I'm talking about you got guys that are all American that are not taking plays off. They're not, you know, going out there chilling by the water cooler and, you know, not not practicing just because, you know, they don't want to get hurt. Guys were going full throttle. Uh, and we just had that and we just held ourselves accountable. So all you got to do is just have a talk and tell you guys, hey, it's about us, about the guys in the room. You know, Khalid Bredesen, you guys control the template. Sometimes guys get complacent and you get cool and you get relaxed. And when the season starts, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to go as hard. To hell with that. Like, if you want to win a championship, you got to go hard. You know, if you, you know, guys want to hang out throughout the course of the week and at twelve, you know, at, from twelve to four, we know what guys are doing. We don't even have to say it out loud. We know what guys are doing, what they're chasing. It's not video games. Like you guys can wait, <laughs> you know, you can get get yourself a girlfriend and 
get yourself one girlfriend and, and and let that let that be the case, or whatever floats your boat. You get yourself somebody that you can talk to, and that be it. You don't have to run around all night looking for that video games. Hey, if you want to take, play video games, give yourself a cat. You know, I'm gonna play video games until two, and then I'm gonna sleep from two to seven or give yourself time and we did that and we didn't lose another game man we were rocking and rolling we should have been out of state but you know how that rivalry goes (laughs) yeah yeah all too familiar with that but all right this is the last one i'll get you out of here on this Uh, a couple questions one do you have any a message for the fans that may have been I'll just say, I don't know how to put it, hurt or maybe off-put by how things have gone in the last few years um, on your end. And and then along with that, a little elevator pitch for the book if, if people are interested in checking it out. Uh, at the end of the day, I'm a Michigan man. You can't, you can't get overly mad at someone who really loves the institution. Man. I'm talking about... I was at the game where Cordell Stewart threw the Hail Mary. I, I remember crying the whole way home. Uh, I was at the game with Desmond Howard. Uh, couldn't come up with the two-point conversion. I remember crying. Uh, I remember I came to Detroit uh, in our bye week in 2006. I won $100,000 at Greektown Casino. And two weeks later, they were playing in the one-versus-two game. I put all my money that I had won on Ohio, on Michigan, lost all of that because I didn't take the spread because I'm, I'm arrogant. <laughs> I went to Michigan. I'm not, I'm not taking the spread in which if I would have took the spread, I would have won. But you're talking about a guy that just loves it, you know, loves that institution, man. I want nothing but the best best for it. And what I said came from a place of passion. You can always count on me to love my school and, and, and tell the truth. And I think one more thing, we have to be truthful with ourselves. I think a lot of times, like the, the that's the word I'm looking for, like the, it's, the culture has changed over, it's shifted. It's no longer, you know, Bo Schembechler and Lloyd Carr and, because I people a lot of a lot of people critical of me when I was playing, but I had to deal with it. You know, I couldn't be sensitive and and running from it. Um, don't be so sensitive and don't be so dishonest. Like if you see something that you you agree with, like don't fight me as I'm fighting for Michigan. Like if I say something that it's the truth, like I I'm saying it from a place of playing, observing, et cetera. I have no axe to grind against anybody that is coaching at University of Michigan. And that person is coaching the team that I love more than anything in this world. So when I say it, and then, you know, we play Ohio State in Florida, like, yeah, I want you to look back and be like, oh, okay, well, this is what you meant. So love my school. And the elevator pitch, if you just want to be, if you just want to read a good book, like very interesting, has a, has a lot has a lot of facets to it. It's only 230 pages. This is a, oh, this is a fun book. Like it takes you on a, a roller coaster. Because it, it puts you in the driver's seat, and it allows you to be happy with me. It allows you to be mad at me. It allows you to be upset with me. It allows you to be disappointed with me. It allows you to you know, be empathetic of me. It allows you to do all of those things in 230 pages. Like, there'll be times where you'll be over the top like, yes. And there'll be times you'll be like, God darn it, Braylon. You know, but it's... <laughs> And then it, and then I have times where you're like, dang, I didn't know that. I didn't know he was going through that. I didn't know this was the other side of the coin. So it's it is an honest book, uh, very genuine, very 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 honestly written. Tom Brennan Harris did a great job writing this book. Proud to have worked with him. Look forward to writing with him again in the future. It is an honest book. And don't worry, I take a lot of onus for for all my my shenanigans 
throughout my life. So this isn't a, it's not my fault book. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a good read. It's a very good, I'll, I'll call it a great read. It's a quick read. Thank you. Um, and like you said, it's uh you know, it's like being part of the family. You can be upset at your brother or your cousin, but you still love him. He's still one of yours. So, and I think a lot of people still feel that way about you. So, uh, autobiography, doing it my way with Tom Van Harden, uh, was out effective September 10th. So it's out wherever books are sold. You can follow Braylon at official Braylon on Twitter and, uh, check out his website at BraylonEdwards1.com. Braylon, again, thank you so much for your time. Uh, hopefully we can catch up down the road and, uh, Hey, um, like I said, great book and, and great work from both of you guys. All right, thanks a lot, man. Great talking to you. All right, once again, I want to thank Braylon for his time. I know he's really busy with the book coming out, and he had something else to get to. I wish we could have talked longer, but hopefully we'll be able to get him back on here soon. The book is called Doing It My Way. It's available from Triumph Books and is available wherever you get your books. That's going to do it for us today. Remember to like and follow Mason Brew on all of our social media channels. Subscribe to Maze and Brew Podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your shows. And like I said before, if we're not available on something you prefer to listen to your podcasts on, let us know. We'll look into it. You can follow me on Twitter at Anthony T. Broom and like my newly revamped journalist page on Facebook at Anthony Broom. That's it for the Maze and Brew Podcast this week. We will be back on Monday for another week of shows heading into the Wisconsin game. So enjoy your bye. We'll talk soon.